And if you have your Bibles, turn with me, John chapter 13. We're right in the Passion Week, which is great because this is Palm Sunday and looking forward to Easter next week. But today we're in John 13 and we're this amazing passage, this really wonderful piece. And it's the second half of the chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. But before we do, I just, you know, our society all the time, our world all the time is pulling at us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say that because the Bible does. There's this tension of the world. And the world doesn't, it's, it's the, and the devil and the flesh, we're sneaky. It's not like the world goes, uh, you know, come be bad. No, the world takes Christian concepts and twists them about a half turn and pulls at you. One of the things that happens is how we handle this thing called love. You know, love means something kind of specific in, in Greek and, and even in the language. And we broaden the definition first to mean anything, romantic love or just a warm feeling. But particularly right now in our culture, we are institutionalizing love. I don't know if you've noticed that. We are making love a set of things that you do that we all agree those are the good things. If you love each other, mask It's not a Christian thing. That's a societal thing. And we talk about general care for people in the sense of of, of just caring for people's needs and giving them food or clothing or shelter. All good things. Things we should do. And we can have arguments or discussion over where you want to put the lines. But here's the trouble. We connect those things to the command of Jesus to love. And I guess what I'd like you to see this morning is that's a little different. And I want you to see it from the text, because this is the text when Jesus gives us his command to love. And I want you to see something really important. I want you to see something for your life about this this morning. And I think it does impact how you live your life. It is a directed at you as as Jesus to you. He's not setting up a new standard for you to hold people to. Are, you, are those guys doing it enough? This is family talk this morning. I say family talk like I know I say that with a little hesitation because some of you have great families and some of you don't. But family is, is like people that you, you are with gathered around the table, all talking at once. And then Jesus, in this amazing setting, looks at you, and he says something. And I want you to see it. I want you to see the, the setting and the, the, the life and the, the, the form and, and, and honestly what it means for you and I to be on this earth and living in light of love. So that's where after I call it love and chaos because there's chaos going around as we, as we look at this. And, and so as we come into this, the first thing is we're at a supper. It's the Passover supper, right? It's Jesus' last meal with the guys. It's a family meal. And Jesus has just done the most amazing thing, is that he's washed their feet. Humbly, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, got down to these 12. And he loved on them. Then he gets back up at the table and they're sitting there. And it's the last little bit before he goes to the cross, the event of history. And this is God who's with them. 
So our scene comes up, and you are given this intimate picture of God loving. I want you to see it. And so let's start with the supper. And here we go. This family setting at a table with these men who've been three years with Jesus. And they're all going to be a few more hours with him. And, and, and this is what it says. Verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Ouch. Now, we already know the story, so a lot of times this doesn't hit us. But think if you're sitting around the table with Jesus and you're all there and you're hanging out together. And, and here Jesus kind of brings up again what he's kind of hinted at before, that someone's going to betray him. Well, the disciples, they looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Okay, wait a minute. What do you mean uncertain? Judas is the baddie. He's been with him for three years. They can't tell? Hasn't he been doing acts of evil on the side? Hasn't he been like someone that they all know? Hey, okay, let's show of hands. Who's the one? Who's the evil one in the room? And they all would say, well, the villain is Judas. No. Not at all. The family's sitting around, and they're all looking. And, and, and the one who's been exteriorly the best, the one who handles the money because he's so faithful, we know he's not, but we only know he's not because we've been told that after the fact by John that he used to steal money from the money bag. But generally, you have the guy hold the money who's the good guy. They don't know. They're confused. There's this peace going on in the midst, right? So one of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table by Jesus' side. There's <laughs> is the picture, right? And And... and And so Simon Peter motioned him, hey, wink, wink, hey, 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 to ask Jesus whom he was speaking about. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus, this picture of Jesus, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Think through this with me. Jesus starts out stirred up because betrayal is happening and someone that he loved and he has served and he knows and he adores and, and, and that person is betraying him. His family, right? He's poured into this man and loved him and humbled himself and, and, and he's walking away and Jesus knows. He knows who he is and what he's done and this is kind of the point. He knows dysfunctional relationships. Say, man, you don't know my family. Oh, yeah, but Jesus knew his. Because this is his family. Jesus knows enmity from one that you love. He just did this humiliating service for this man, the Son of God, and, and Judas is turning on him. That's the one thing, and, and, and boy, it's Satan himself going in, right? Right? 
But, but look at the continued problem, because that's really not the whole thing. Because after he had taken the morsel standard and turned him, Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. But look, now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I mean, I, you're supposed to see this. It's brought up for you as a, as a scene to look at, that all these disciples are gathered around Jesus, and they have no clue. And Jesus says, there's the man that's going to betray me. Just, Jesus, are you okay? Not a single word. What, 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 uh, 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 uh. That was my best Elmer Fudd. Wasn't very good. Right? It's like they don't know. They don't know. They think Judas is going to go do something good, like, you know, get the food for the feast or, or, or go give. It's a big, big alms night that night in the, in the Passover night feast schedule where you would go and give out money to the poor. So, so Judas is going to do some good works. They're totally confused. This is more dysfunction, this imperfection, this chaos, right? Shouldn't these disciples, not Judas, he's lost, I get it. Satan is in him. Uh, Shouldn't everyone else kind of gather around Jesus and protect him? Help him? Rail on Judas? Affirm Jesus, strengthen Jesus? And even in his closest relationships, it's like dysfunction's going on. It's not Jesus' fault, it's theirs. Confusion reigns, and so Jesus says to Judas, do it quickly. No understanding. Only looking on the outside, right? Because that's what we do. We don't look at the heart. We don't see what's going on. We, even in society, this is the problem. We look at the outside of stuff all the time, and we judge people based on what they're doing on the outside. They look okay to me, so they must be okay. We'll call it love because acts of love look like love. I just, I just think about a thousand days that Judas got to spend with Jesus. What I would give for an hour. A thousand days the disciples spent with Jesus, and they don't really understand the depth of what he's talking about. And how Jesus isn't, isn't affirmed and lifted up and, and grabbed hold of. And, and John or Peter, can't you help him? Or, and, and, and so I think that that phrase that ends this little section, which is, and it was night. Yeah, that's right. It's just dark. Jesus understands. He knows. It's not just that he knows his purpose. He does. But particularly he knows betrayal. And he knows all the disciples are going to run. Nobody's going to stay with him. Nobody. So you've got to take, as we go into this next piece, it's one of the most known parts of the New Testament, that, that this is something where Jesus knows not a single disciple is going to stay with him. Right? Because none of them are. He's got a plan. Jesus does. It doesn't include their faithfulness. But make no mistake, there's a plan. And, and you should get it. You should understand. Okay, so here's, here's the plan. Because now when he had had gone out, that's Judas leaving. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. 
Uh, okay. That's the plan. I just heard one too many glorified. Sorry, John, I don't really get it. I kind of get it. Okay, God's going to glorify me. But then Jesus adds this other sentence and just doubles down on glorifying all over. Yet this is what glorifying is, you guys. It's not he got glorified because the disciples around him glorified him and lifted him high with worshipful singing. God glorified Jesus. What did it look like? Jesus betrayed. Jesus alone. Jesus going to the cross. And you know what? Double down because the language is really hard and we skip right over it. And we say, hey, the Son of Man is glorified now, at once, right now, as I am being betrayed. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, he's going to glorify him in himself. Double glory. Circular. That was a circular statement. Yes, it is because the glory just wraps around. The glory of what? God dying on a cross. This is glory. No, it's not glory. Glory is like things going right and, 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 and the love being exalted and, 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 and soft singing. And, 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 and Jesus, yeah, Jesus lifted high on the cross. That's the plan. It's happening at once. This is the moment. So you've got to see this is not, oh, what needs to be changed or brought in order for God to be glorified? Nothing. Well, let's whip these relationships into shape and set things right. No, that's not what you're able to do. It's what Jesus is about to do as he sheds his blood. God will glorify himself. And Jesus says, and me too, in the midst of this. So that's really important. God doesn't require some standard of goodness to work or move. He's his own standard. And that now piece, Jesus is thinking, here it comes, even through betrayal, even without support, even with confusion. He's perfect. And, and so he's, he's look, and even though he should get support, the guys are confused and not getting it. And, and so look what he does. And this, I've done all this just to set the scene. And you're probably going, Dax, I get it. But here's the thing. Now. You're ready. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows everybody's abandoning him. He's alone. So what does he do? He calls his guys in. This is his family. And he goes, guys, family huddle. That's what he does. That's these words right here. The only time he uses it in the entire Gospel of John, he says in there in verse 33, he says, little children... Oh, kids, come on. You guys, come on, huddle up. Huddle around. And it's a family scene. It says, little children. And he says, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so also I say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. I'm leaving. I'm going away. What is he talking about? He's talking about death on the cross. He's talking about going to the grave. He's talking about three days in the earth. They're not going with him. Nobody's going with him to the cross but him alone. And so he says, hey, where I'm going, you're not going to come. Right? Of course, where is he going? To die for their sins forever. So cool. But he huddles them in, you guys. Betrayal's coming. Now is the moment. And it's all upside down and not what you think about. But here it is. And so as he's gathered there as a family... Then he says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What, what, what is he doing? Did you see? We need to look at this because so often this is made into a new law. Here, let me reinforce the old law and tell you to redouble your efforts. But Jesus is really focused in a whole other direction. A new commandment. So it is not the old one. What's the old one? You know it, right? The whole Old Testament is summarized in two commands. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the old one. And, and why? So many people trying to kind of make the new piece the example of Jesus. That's okay, only if you're very careful. Because first and foremost, Jesus is not saying, go do the old commandment. And, and the whole thought, the whole reason why this is going on is, is he's huddled the family in. And he said, kids, kids, come together. I'm leaving. You can't come with me. And so when he says next, what he says is what? Take care of each other. He says it to these 11 guys, his guys. He says it like, 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 like if my dad would have come and, 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 and said together as, as he's dying, he didn't do this, but I think it like this, I think, and, and, brought, and brought me and my brothers along and says, hey, hey kids, come here. Take care of your mom. Hey kids, come here. Take care of each other. That's the flavor, right? You see how different that is than how we think? Because what I think is, I think of Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai, right? That holy mountain where only Moses went up. And when he came down, eventually his face was glowing. And everyone was so afraid to go up there because God gave the commandments. And he wrote down, what did he write? Love your neighbors yourself. And if I want to be with him, and if I want to be with God, and if I want to make God happy, and if I want to, then I'm going to do those things. And so my life becomes, can I do those things? How different it is for Jesus to say, I'm, I'm going. And where he's going is the cross. Yeah. And he brings him in and says, you guys, while I go do the work, you guys care for each other. Because why? Your family. Right? He's talking to the eleven. Judas is gone, and he's talking to the guys that he's chosen, and he says to them, take care of each other. It's incredible. It's a response to what Jesus is about to do, to what he's done. It's a response to Jesus. He says, your family, you're loved by me specifically and individually. You've been touched by me. I've washed your feet. I self-sacrifice for you. As you know that, as you, and it's directed at each of them. Not go make other people. Jesus has known them. And then what's this love he's talking about? This is super important because if it's new, then we shouldn't confuse it with the old. What was the old? The duty, right, to love generically. To love everyone equally. 
to be about the moral, moral sort of characteristics of love. All of that's good. I mean, loving justice applied to the masses, that's a kind of love. But it's not this love. It's not be a loving person. This is Jesus with a few people, and he's saying in this setting, cherish each other. The one another, you know, the one another is, is, is strong there. It's, it's aimed at this little group. Take care of each other, you guys. I've touched every one of you. You see me, you know me, you see me for you unconditionally in your brokenness, in your dirty feet. So don't splinter. Care for each other. And, and I mean, they're right there at ground zero with the Son of God. He's going to the cross for them. The forces are gathered. The event is at hand. They're the eyewitnesses. Hear me, Jesus says to his little family. It's amazing. It's going down. I'm for you forever. I got to go. You guys care for each other by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another this is really interesting again it's not some massive overarching new law it's like this is your best witness jesus says not moral acts of goodness not 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 social justice not love in some sort of soul societal mandate or governmental program but you family cherishing each other it's a small group. I, he, he's, he's, not, he's not trying to say, make sure you love everybody out there that you can. He's talking about your family, your Christian family, not generically, people that God has put in your life. And then he says, care for them. It's at this point we go off greatly a lot of times because we decide what it is to care for them. And then if we don't think people are doing it, we accuse them of not loving very well. And then we go further and kind of make now lists of how you care for people and make it duty. And we go right back to the law. Instead of saying, no, I've been touched by Jesus and my desire and heart is to be loving towards my family. I think about Jesus looking at me and I think about their witness, which is what he's talking about here, right? I mean... He's saying this to the 11. I guess, I guess my question would be, okay, Jesus says, and he's gathered him in, and it's his family, and they're together. And he says to him, you guys, care for each other. And then he says, this is how the world will know. So, did they? I mean, think about it with me. This command Jesus gives, this thing to really love and care for each other, this to be a self-sacrifice for each other. And he says each other. He doesn't say for, for Italy. He says for here. So though the people. So did they? And he says, this is how the world's going to know. So did they? Here's the answer. I don't know. It wasn't so they would get fame. It wasn't so it would get written down in history books. It's not even written down in the Bible. Did Matthew care for Thomas? Did Thomas really love Simon the Zealot? How did John, the son of Zebedee, love Peter? I don't know. It didn't get, because that's not the point, is it? It's not the point that we would somehow, it's the point that the people who lived around them, because this is where the impact is, that in your life, as you have people around you, that you are close to, the Lord's put in your life, and you say, hey, my heart towards them is to care for them. Why? Why would I do that? Because the king has loved me with an undying love. 
He's amazing. And he looks at me and he says, kid, incline your heart this way. Super cool. This is small, right? Not big. Not huge programs. This is individuals. This is there. And, 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 and this then becomes really important, this last little piece. And I'm not going to go till we get the last little piece in here. Because it's so important. I just told you, hey, care for each other. And, and I've told you that our proclivity is to take it back to the old commandment, to the law, and make it obligation, and make it evaluatable. And God's not in the bookkeeper business anymore. And, and so you've got to see that when Jesus huddles us in, and he does this for you and me too, that when he huddles us in and he says, be a person who cares, cherish your family, that there's a promise involved from Jesus to me. And there's a feeling I feel that I need to be this way. And then I fail. Look, 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 there's a promise. I want, I want you to see it. There's a promise. Actually, there's two of them. And right here, smashed up against when Jesus says this. Look, so Simon Peter says to Jesus, he says, Lord, where are you going? So if you remember, that's, that was, <laughs> we got tripped up and just spent ten, five, ten minutes on the command. But before the command, Jesus says, guys, huddle in. I'm leaving. So love one another. And so Peter's like, oh, I heard that first part. Where are you going? I don't want you going away. So Peter said, Lord, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers him, says, I'm going where I'm going. You cannot follow me now, Peter. But you will follow afterwards. Okay, I want you to see that first. Right? So he says, you can't come, Peter, but what? But you will. What's that called? A promise from the lips of God to Peter. And he says, you're coming, right? He says, you can't follow me now. He's not going to the cross. In fact, he's going to abandon Jesus. Jesus knows it. But, 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 but Jesus is going to go get him. And he promises Peter that he will. So guess what I know is going to happen? He's going. Right? With me? So, so, so then Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You see that, right? There's Peter. Peter gives a promise to Jesus. What does he say? I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'm going with you. Right? And so look what Jesus says. Jesus answers, and this ends the chapter. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow. Peter says, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And, and it's not wrong to see that as Peter's pledge to love, to self-sacrifice for Jesus, I'll do it. Jesus, my love for you will endure, and I will respond rightly. And Jesus just looks at him and says, yeah, not happening. <laughs> right? So Jesus' promise is incredible and unbreakable and happens, and Peter's promise is breakable right away. If you give him just a couple hours, he's going to run. That's the thing with love, right? Our love. I see the wonder. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing, Jesus says, my love for you. And we know the only truth we have, you and I, and the Spirit opens our eyes. We long to be faithful. And then we fall down the stairs. That's the message, right? It's that we have this desire, and, and so we live in Romans 8, 1, where therefore there's there no, no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ because his love is unbreakable. And we see it and we long to respond and we feel this Jesus huddling us in and our hearts get soft. And then then my wife says something I don't like. I know. And instead of being kind, I just, bleh. I don't love her. I snap at her. I fail again. I fall down the stairs again. I know I ought not to. I know there's a new commandment. So I come back and say, what, what, what? No, no, it's right here, right when Jesus gives this huddle in and care for each other, that when you stumble, guess what it's all about? It's about you coming back to the wonder that his love is unbreakable, and it's right there. That's the message, right? That's First John that we read this morning. And this is love. Here it is. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son, that's Jesus, to be the propitiation, the soaking up of all the wrath, the payment for our sin. So so you're invited in today, in this particular little passage, that there's love in chaos. Like it's a family scene. And, and Christianity is a family thing. The Lord made the family, you know. A real family, Jesus and the twelve, and betrayal and confusion in the midst of it, a plan, God's plan, to save through Jesus. So he called the guys together, and they huddled up, and he looked at them, and he loved them, and he told them, I'm leaving, but cherish each other, and this is the Christian way. You know, we're not going to conquer the world. Jesus is and has. He's done it. But we gather and trust in this incredible Savior, and then our love doesn't go very far. Because we're failures, but we know whose love lasts. And like a family, we encourage each other. And when someone falls down, the most important thing you can do is pick him back up and say, you know what? You are a failure, but you're forgiven. How do I know? Because Jesus' promise never fails. His blood's for you. That's the most caring thing you can do is bring somebody back to the wonder of what's been done for them. We are Little and lost. You've got to watch out. You've got to watch out for love redefined. For those who would make love not about Jesus' love for us, but about relationships. And, 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 and Jesus' love is about relationship. Jesus' love is about his love for us. Jesus' love is about his treasuring us. But instead, we turn love into a program for good works or a new structure to do the law. And guilt and shame and accusation and entitlement And guess what? We reject all that stuff. Jesus is enough and he treasures you. So I want you to feel it too. We are little and lost and least, but Jesus is strong and faithful and true. So look upon love, the love that has cared for you. And come on, family. Feel it. Incline your heart to cherish each other. Because Jesus cherishes this body. Let's pray.